0: The reading is from the book of Acts chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's true and eternal word. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied by There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren... Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. And Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient. To the faith. Amen. May God bless the reading and the further preaching of His own word. And we open again God's word in Acts chapter 6. And in, in my records, uh, through the years, I do believe we've looked at this passage around two times. Um, especially close to the time of installing or ordaining new elders and deacons. And that is where we had focused in the past, and even focused upon the qualifications that, that Luke says that the apostles looked into. They were looking for men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And... Then they were selected, they were prayed for, hands were imposed upon them. This was like the ordination of the first men who helped the elders of the church, the apostles at the time, in the ministry um, of the saints of the church. But today we we will look at this passage and focus um, especially on on those words that express explain the emphasis that was in the heart of the apostles to choose these men. It's amazing the intricacies in choosing these men to help. It was really for the purpose to be remaining the same, the primary purpose for which the church existed. And I will be reading in verse two one phrase, and then verse four, in verse two, beginning where it says, "It is not reason that we should leave the word of God." There, there is a sense of priority in the heart of the apostles. And then in verse four, he says, "They say, "But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry." of the word those are the main phrases the main text that we're hoping to consider so luke again returns to give us a full picture of the state of the church there there were blessings there were many conversions we've been reading reports of how many have been added to the church we've heard of the great amounts of people being healed um, in the midst even of the persecutions, there had been glorious and miraculous deliverances. But now Luke will reveal a new challenge faced by the church. And we, we will look at this challenge first. That will be our first point. Secondly, we'll look at the solution. That's where we'll spend a little longer deriving some lessons from the solution that they apply And then thirdly, very briefly, we'll see the fruit. Even the fruit is corroborating and showing that in the solution that they chose, we we learn a very important lesson for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, let's look at the challenge. What is this challenge? In terms of challenges, there have been two major challenges from the outside And they were in the form of two great persecutions where twice the disciples were arrested. I'm putting that second part as a whole, but there were two arrests in that second part because of that miraculous deliverance. But then, this is now the second challenge inside the church. There had been that one of Ananias and Sapphira. And it was a matter of their honesty, their dishonesty, actually, and their hypocrisy. And that, of course, affle- affected to some degree the whole church. Um, we, we do read of how great fear came upon all the church. Chapter 5, verse 11. And upon as many as heard these things. But it was more by hearing those things, of course, the people who knew Ananias and Sapphira were the ones who, who suffered more regarding the judgment that came upon them. But now, this challenge that is coming upon the church, in many ways you could say affects every single person in the church. Because as we read, it says that there was this murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. And when we have these two phrases, it's really the totality of who was a believer in those days. Both the word Grecians and the Hebrews are in general Jewish people. You need to understand there, there were proselytes in both groups. When I say proselytes, I mean Gentiles who went through all the rituals to become Jews at least as close as they could be, just not ethnically. Um, Some people believe that when you see the title God-fearers, there were people who had done some of the rituals, but not all of them. And the proselytes were the ones who did all of them. And they came as close to becoming a Jew as somebody ceremonially could. And there had been some who would go to Jerusalem and was among the Israelites, and they became proselytes. And there were some from the Gentiles' people, who, because they were near synagogues and near Jewish people who were in the diaspora in different places, they became proselytes. And see, this is what's happened now with Pentecost. These people from all around the world, remember as Acts begins, we have this context where Jews from all around the known world came back to Israel because of the celebration of Pentecost. They heard the gospel preached for the first time through Peter there was that miraculous coming of the Holy Spirit there were 3,000 people who were baptized and they don't want to go home you would understand that that is the church that's the beginning of the church and they can't go back where there is no gospel they need to hear the gospel they need to be ministered they need to be mentored and this is what's happening um, there are people from all over these different places who are in Israel saying, I'm not going home because I have heard of the Messiah and I need to understand everything before I go. And so as the church is increasing, they are having to minister to all these people. And the Gentile, uh, the, the, the Jews that were among the Gentiles, they're the ones who are the Grecians because they've adopted the culture of the Grecians, they probably speak Greek more than they speak Hebrew. Some people think they pretty much knew no more Hebrew, only Greek. And the Jews who were from Israel, they're the Hebrews, and they also would know Greek, because at the time Greek was the known language. But they spoke Hebrew more, and in their synagogues, Hebrew was more adhered to. And Aramaic, another language that was also among them. And so you understand that with these people that came from farther away and they have their own widows, they're certainly the more needy people because now they're staying for a long time in Israel. And, and they have no homes, they have no extras, they, they have no land. And these are the people who have been being ministered to as they have been selling their possessions and setting it at the feet of the apostles. But as it is to be expected, because these are humans like us, there were some oversights. But the oversights began to be very visible in in how they were falling. It was the widows of the Grecians who were being neglected when they compared the widows of the Hebrews. So that indicated that, that they were more perceptive and they were leaning toward. There was an element of favoritism for the needy ladies among the Hebrews. And the widows... Of the Grecians were being neglected. Now there is um, there is an essence like a play of word when it says that the that the widows um, of the Grecians were being neglected because the word widow in Greek it's derived from a root meaning forsaken. It could even be used for a woman who had been forsaken by her husband so that she was divorced now. So she was seen like a widow in the world. And a woman who has lost a husband and no longer that husband to care for her. She, she is forsaken in, sense, in the terms of, of her providence. And so basically the complaint was that those who are forsaken are now being neglected. Now, you, you can look at this situation and, and wonder, well, who, who's to blame? This is because of the choice of the word murmurings. It's interesting, many commentators point to this. this in the Greek, when we see the Greek um, translation of the Old Testament and we hear of all the murmurings of God's people in the wilderness, it's this word murmurings that we find here. So it's not positive. We can't think like this. Well, they were doing bad things, so they should complain. Well, there's there's a biblical way of complaining. As soon as they noticed perhaps some some lack of balance and favoritism on one side, they should have gone immediately to the leadership and, and mentioned in a loving way, not even, not even really complaining, just saying, I'm just stating a fact. This is happening. I've noticed it four times. There's that widow living near my home. I never see the food arriving to her. You know, There's a way to do it, but it implies here that there were these murmurings, there were these complaints. That was one set of problem, but yes, it was connected to this other set of problems, that there was neglect, there was a favoritism. So this is what I mean that, that everyone in the, in the church was being involved because you, were, you would have been either from one group or the other and either your group was being accused of complaining or your group was being accused of showing favoritism. And, and the great problem then is that the church could divide. So so there were multiple problems, see? Complaining and favoritism and what could happen, it could divide. Now, what's interesting is as we look at the text, really God's word is pointing to a greater problem yet. Greater either even than division. Greater than the murmuring and greater than the showing favoritism. You know what it is? And then as, we, as we look at the solution, we will find out what this danger is. So let me, let me go now to our second point where we see the solution. We're going to find out that in the solution, there's really a greater danger. So there are three dangers already. Because of the complaining, there's, of course, discontentment. And it's because people are showing favoritism, their sectarianism. And then that can bring division. But when we look at the solution, when we see the very first thing that the apostles say, they're pointing to the fourth problem. Which is really a greater problem. So the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The question was, okay, you all do something regarding this problem. And there would be perhaps a way for them to take care of this problem by neglecting the word of God. And taking care of the problem. But see, this is what I mean. The word is pointing to a greater problem yet. Not just the division, not just the discontentment, not just the sectarianism, the favoritism. But the problem, the danger that the leadership would lose track of what is their primary duty. And what really helped me in understanding something that we see here is Martin Lloyd-Jones is so so profound in his looking into the text. And you know how we spent some time seeing that through those persecutions we can learn what unbelief is. What the heart of unbelief is. We saw that the heart of unbelief is rejection. And it is an irrational rejection because they were rejecting the best men that ever walked upon Israel in terms of a group and in terms of many of them. We had an Elijah before who did many good things, but it was sparse here and there. But all of a sudden we have these 12 apostles who are healing, healing everybody, who, who, who sees demon-possessed people. How in the world would you reject those people? So unbelief is irrational We saw through Gamaliel that unbelief is also deceptive because you can almost look like someone who believes but don't. We saw through Gamaliel also remember that unbelief is very blind and unbelief never, especially the kind of unbelief that is of polite people, unbelief never sees Christ in a personal way. You see, that was Gamaliel. He wasn't believing in Jesus. He saw the disciples of Jesus being whipped and scourged, and he said nothing, at least that's recorded in Scripture. He didn't say, let us listen to what these men say about this Christ, whom they claim resurrected. So unbelief is rejection. It is cruel. It is blind. All those things we learned, the nature of unbelief. You know what we learn now as we see this problem in the church? And, and really, we, we can go back and see that we've been learning it with the other problems. The nature of the church. What the church is called to be. And this is very important. Because what God's Word is saying is giving to you and to me if you're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ we have in God's Word a blueprint of what you are called to be as part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ rain or shine it's important. Some people think, well, you know, everything is good. The coast is clear. Now we can preach. Oh, wait, there's persecution. Now let's go into hiding. No, what, what did they do when there was persecution? The angel came to them and said, go back to the temple early in the morning and teach. And now that they have a problem inside the church, what are they doing? They're sitting down and saying, we're going to take care of this problem. But first, make it clear that we are not going to leave the Word of God. And then they emphasize it in verse 4, but we, after they cho- say they, they say what the solution is to be, choose the men, seven may be enough, here are the qualifications, and then they say, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And you, you see with this, the apostles are saying yes there is discontentment yes there can be division yes there is a favoritism all of that is wrong we're going to solve that problem but the way we solve this problem is not allowing a greater one to happen which would be where we leave our study of the word and our prayer for the effectiveness of the word in the hearts of the people and in the preaching of the word because we can't do this alone we can't even understand the word without praying so we need to pray and we need to preach And we're going to take care of this problem by keeping that preeminent. So This is what we learn in this text. Now, before we go to a a list of, of conclusions, let me just go through this. Why? Why is the Word so central? And why is prayer so central? If God's Word is elevating prayer and preaching as the number one thing That the church is called to do. We need to know why. And so. The first thing I could say. Is well. What is the word? If we look at the Bible. We we can answer. Well what is the Bible? Why is it so important? Why must we as elders. Give ourselves continually to the word. And of course that implies. The study of it. And the preaching of it. Well many theological books or many books about the Bible say these simple three things about the Bible. The first thing is that the Bible is a book about God. God reveals himself. It is God's message to the world, to the people whom God created. God is speaking to his people whom he have created. And, and I speak in terms of His people in a general way. Every single soul that bears the image of God, and that's every single soul. The Bible is meant for every single soul. There's never one person who walks upon this earth that you could say, Well, the Bible's not for him or for her. It is. It is God revealing himself to everyone who will open the pages of scripture. You hear and learn who God is. You will learn that he created the world. You will learn that he is supreme. You will learn that he is sovereign, that he is loving, that he is patient. We learned this morning that he is not just merciful. He's tender in his mercy. We've learned that he is faithful. He says promises. You'll find promises in the beginning of the Bible and you find them 4,000 years years later and it's fulfilled so he's a faithful God he's a God who keeps his word see this is what the Bible is it is God revealing himself but there's a second thing that he reveals in a general massive way in God's word is he reveals who you are who I am that's what the Bible does we open the Bible and we learn who we are we learn that we were created by this God. We are, we are part of His creation. We, we learn that we have His very image in us. That His very law was written um, in our hearts. We, we learn where we came from. This, this is very important, isn't it? You, you have people having existential crises because they do not know where they have come from they do not know why they are here they do not see what's the purpose in this world and God's word is central because it teaches it answers all these things God's word does not answer everything but it answers everything God wants you to know about him and about you but then there's a third thing. In this very revelation of who we are, it goes further and it explains that our covenant head, Adam, sinned. And through his sin, all have fallen. So beloved, this is what's astonishing about the Bible. We, we live in a dark world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world obsessed with war and obsessed with sin and obsessed with pleasure and obsessed with obsessed with pride with self there is utter selfishness everywhere and we see the crimes that happen we see countless millions of people who are being exterminated in this world and god's word doesn't leave us in the dark it shows where that comes from it comes from sin It comes from sin that's even in our own hearts. And then this is what leads us to this third thing. See, not just God, not just us, that we were created by Him, but also that there's sin in us and that there's sin in this world. But see, and this this completes the reality why the Word is a central message of the church. It contains the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that the very God that is revealed in Scripture sent His very Son to the very people who rebelled against Him and who sinned and who don't deserve salvation, but God promised He would send um, the the son of a woman, the seed of a woman, who would crush the head of the serpent, and so Jesus came to this world. It is the message of salvation, the good news of the gospel. Everything that we need to know in order to have life and to have hope. The sin that is our problem, we find in Christ the solution. He died for sinners. So that your sins, when you believe in Jesus, they are wiped away. They are forgiven. You are cleansed. And the righteousness that you need to appear before God, you receive by imputation. He applies it to you by faith. You do nothing. You believe and you repent. And that literally is nothing because there's no effort in any of that. There's no merit. It is not a work. It is the opposite of a work. You are acknowledging your sinfulness. You are acknowledging that you have no salvation in yourself. And and Christ saves you. He cleanses you. He pardons you. And see, this is what that world was finding out. Those people who were waiting for the Messiah were hearing, He came. And we saw Him. He was buried. He, he was killed. Well, he, he died on the cross, he gave his own life, he was buried, and we saw him on the third day. We are witnesses. And you know, remember when they told the priest, and also the Holy Ghost is a witness to, with them. It, the power that they were manifesting and healing all those people, and, and coming forth out of a prison without any kind of, of effort and with no weapons. All of those miracles were proof that the Holy Spirit was a witness right alongside them. And the multitudes were believing. They were trusting in Christ. They were leaving that group of rejectors, and they were associating with those who are embracers of the Lord Jesus. That's why the word had to continue. Because salvation had to continue. And now let's say a word about prayer. Why Prayer. So we see the importance of the Word. What's the importance of prayer? Why do they give themselves continually? It's like they don't take breaks to, to, to even eat. They, they, they will give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Well, what is prayer? Why is prayer so central? Well, prayer, in a very simple summary, is, is speaking to God. The word is God speaking to us. Prayer is us speaking to God. Isn't it interesting that in in this phrase that shows the central ministry of the church, it has to do with communication? You put together those sermons on communion with God. God communes with us and we commune with him. And the leaders of the church were saying that's our primary task. And we can't let that falter. In solving this problem, we will have to find a way that keeps this priority going. When we speak to God, of course, we we can praise Him, we can thank Him, we can petition things from God. And when we petition, it can be things for ourselves, things for others. When we pray for ourselves, we pray um, for provisions, we pray for forgiveness. When we pray for others, we pray for provisions. And we pray for forgiveness. And when we're doing this, we're we're acknowledging we can't have anything. I can't have my daily bread. I can't have the forgiveness of my sins. I can't be delivered from evil if Thou, Lord, won't help me and do it. Prayer is a confession of dependence And go to the apostles now. Why are the apostles saying we need to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word? Because they understood that it would be impossible to make a Sadducee who was a rejecter of Christ and who wanted to slay them to turn that man into a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. To turn a polite unbeliever like Gamaliel to become a follower of the Lord Jesus. They couldn't do it. No matter how much they gave themselves to the word, they needed the God of the word to do the work. And so prayer is really that confession. You know, since we can't explain it without your help, since we cannot produce the effect in the hearts of people, since since we cannot um, convert souls, we pray to the one who can. They, They went to the one who cares, the one who has the power to do it. Isn't it beautiful how it fits together? And it's not showing that prayer is more important than the Word. Some people have said that prayer should go first because he puts it first here. um, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But then you need to realize that before, when he just mentioned one, he said it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. And in that place he left prayer out. Really, when you put that together, it's showing they're together. Inseparably. It's not a competition between prayer and preaching. Um, you need both. We need to give ourselves to both. In a sense, we'll always feel we're not preaching enough. Or studying enough to preach. And that we're not pray, praying enough. And praying enough for the effects of the preaching. And praying enough for every soul that, that is to hear the word. Because that will be the truth. We'll, we'll never be sufficient to these two things. They, they go together. Now let us take a few conclusions as as we look at this solution. Is it beginning to crystallize in in your heart? See how this solution is really teaching all these things. Let let me put some of these things in, in order. The first thing is then to understand that the primary task of the church is to pray and to preach because God desires His kingdom to expand. That's really the key. This is what's happening, isn't it? You see how every chapter we've been reading and it's more people are being saved. More people are being saved. Look at verse 7. We're going to end with this. The word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. This is what the word does. and This is what prayer does. This is what God wants to do. God wants His kingdom to be known. He wants people to be entering into the kingdom and they'll only enter if they hear the message of the cross and God will give the faith to these hearts whom he is calling Calvin said this God places no higher value on anything than the preaching of the gospel for he wants his kingdom to be dominant in this world and preaching is a way to lead men to salvation that is how he displays his power It's sad to think that because of the busyness of this world and because of the challenges, many churches want to solve the problems. and one of the first things they do is they put the Bible to the side. And they'll say, you know, maybe maybe we need to cut short that service. Many churches, They had two services in all their history through the 90s and years 2000. They lost the PM service. Now they have only the morning one. Sermons were an hour long. Now they want them 20 minutes long. Um, They had prayer meetings every Wednesday after the great revivals throughout America. The first and second great awakening. Those prayer meetings came before and came after. They were, they were what God used to bring the revivals, and they were the products of revivals. And now you go to many churches, there are no more Wednesday nights prayer meetings. This is, this is why I, I believe in our hearts we should think we, we should want more prayer meetings. And now we have a little time of praying on Wednesdays. Are we making use of that to come together and pray? because we heard what the disciples are doing we're going to solve this problem but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and to whatever degree there may be individual nature to this we need to understand that to some degree if not to a great degree it was a corporate way of coming together and praying Calvin says and since that is God's way let us follow it well the second conclusion is when the church solves problems it should keep this very priority in mind because you see this is precisely what they did as they're choosing these men it's for the very express purpose that they would not leave the word of God and so they're they're solving a problem keeping the priority in place This is very beautiful because it's tempting to solve the problem and because we're human, we kind of leave the priorities to the side. And this is exactly what they're not doing. These men are being chosen and they're being installed in this ministry. And, and this is where I remember one sermon, we looked at this where, where these deacons were, were men who in many ways were going to be active in helping the preaching and the prayer because they were going to help in all of these ways, seeing the body of Christ, making sure not a single needy person would be neglected. That would give a heart for the elders to really give themselves to the word and prayer. And, and, and they would be working together. See, it's a co-labor of love. And now, some have said, well, you know, when you say that, it's almost saying that the preaching and the prayer is more important than these widows who are in need. If you're talking in terms of priority, is that what you're meaning? Absolutely not. You see, put together everything we were saying. Because widows are so important, They need not only the bread for their physical life, they need the bread of life with a capital B. If you and I have bread for each day but don't have Jesus, we have nothing. So it's really a way to say since our widows and since every soul in the church is greatly important, we need to continue feeding them with the word of God. Because or else they'll really suffer. They'll really suffer. And that's where word and deed ministry work together. It's, it's, they work together but keeping in mind the word is more important still. Because that's, that's what leads to eternal life. And all the physical deed is more for our bodies. Because yeah, we need life to be able to hear a sermon. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the word of God. The word of God clearly has a preeminence over over physical needs, over dollars. But we we don't just neglect the needs of people. It is our very desire that they know Christ that will make us feed their bodies and feed their souls. So you understand it's really tackling the problem but keeping the priority and then thirdly we could say this conclusion those who are not making use of the word of God preached and proclaimed are not living in line with what is the main task of the church if, if elders need to give themselves to prayer and preaching that doesn't mean that that's only the preachers who have that task They need to preach to people. So the whole body has this task. That's why I meant that this is really teaching the nature of the whole church. What is to be more important in your heart and in my heart is that Not only if a pastor and an elder is the one who gives himself to the word and preaching in terms of an office. The the whole body of Christ has to say and to think am I giving myself to the preaching of the word. Acknowledging this is the primary task of the church. My primary need. So it is always beautiful and encouraging when, when, when we see in churches... Souls that are hungry, and souls that come to church, souls that don't want to miss a service. They, 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 as physically possible as they are. We understand that it things happen, but you understand the message. We we need to have this in our own hearts. I need the Word. And then think of it throughout the week. We heard yesterday um, how in the many families, there was such a hunger in the beginning of our very congregation that they were always taking sermons with them and in the cars. Today, more than ever, that is easy to be done. And there are people who make use of that. Are you making use of that? Are you you hearing sermon after sermon after sermon? Throughout the week, we may be able to hear three, four, five sermons. And God's Word will be ministering to our lives. So remember that. And then fourthly, let us remember also that in every attack against the church, Satan is behind it. And he's desirous to harm the church. See, Satan was happy to see them in bounds. He wanted to see them slain. Satan was happy to see Ananias and Sapphira fooling and tricking the apostles. He wanted to see um, a lot of hypocrisy inside the church. And now, he's happy to see this division. He loves sectarianism. He loves division. He's behind it all. And now... It's interesting. I'm going to read a quote from Calvin. When he preached on this passage. He made me think of another problem I wasn't even thinking. But I can see how this problem can come into the hearts of people. Look what he says. Um, He says this. If Satan thought that by encouraging tumult and turmoil, he could keep the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ from growing, he would immediately have gained an advantage over us with his craftiness, if growth in numbers discouraged us. And we said, oh, because of the grumblings, dissensions, and quarrels, fewer Christians would be better. We would do better not to be concerned with bringing a lot of people to the knowledge of Christ. Should that have happened, the devil would have the upper hand. So even though we have tumult and turmoil, let us do as we are commanded and work to win the whole world to God and bring it to obedience unto Him. We must pay attention to everything that that God's Word tells us here. He says it because the number of believers was growing that this murmuring arose He does not add that the apostles repented of growing the church and of drawing a large number of people to the faith. But to the contrary, we see how they did not cease but always preached to reach out to the unfortunate people who do not know their doctrine. Do that everyone might be resolute in it and so that each person might receive it. Therefore, we must do as much as... And desire especially that the gospel be extended and increased throughout the whole world. The problem that Calvin made me think that I hadn't thought is. They were seeing the complaining. They were seeing it was because the church grew. There can be in the hearts the people the temptation. Let's let's not see the church grow. Has it ever been a temptation in any heart here? You know, if different people join us, if Grecians, people from other places, with other cultures, there will be confusions. And then if the temptation is not to reach out to them, you know, we're falling prey to the very plan of Satan. He would want us to be scared of that. Because he doesn't care for the salvation of souls. And I loved it how Calvin put it. That instead we should be willing to see the whole world. And bring it to obedience unto him. That we would work to win the whole world. And what will happen? It will bring tumults. It will bring um, differences. But what will we do? We will go to the word. And we will solve problems keeping that priority. Because it's that priority going wrong that makes everything go in havoc. But if we keep that priority, then God will use our church in a majestic and glorious way. And when Calvin said this, it wasn't just talking. Geneva was becoming a place where people from all over Europe and even Scotland and and England, they they were coming into exile into little Geneva and being ministered by Calvin and his academy. He he received throughout the tenure of their time around 50,000 refugees from all kinds of groups of people. You can imagine how there would have been different commotions and different problems, but he never said no to the growth because that's what Satan would want us to think. And so that's the fourth thing, and then, then a fifth thought. Let's acknowledge the great difficulty in keeping to this primary task, which which is in a sense the preaching of the word. And when I say let's let's realize the difficulty, that means that we're going to see that we need prayer. If we think we can do this alone, we have the word, let's just preach it, but we don't pray. We're literally thinking that in our effort, that in our strength, we can understand God's word, which is impossible, and we can preach it, which is impossible, and we can see results, which is impossible. So let us always remember how difficult this is. In essence, how impossible this is without the help of God. And this is why we pray. We pray to understand the Word. We understand to preach it. We, we, we pray to preach it. We, we pray to understand the preaching. We pray so that the preaching bears results. And Calvin has another quote. I'll just summarize it. Where he says, If the very apostles are sane. They, they had all these gifts. They could heal almost anybody it seems. They could deliver people from demons. They could disappear from prisons. But they needed to pray. How can we dare think we don't need prayer? We need it. And thirdly and lastly, the fruit and this is what's so beautiful. It, it, Luke could have said the, the church grew. But he says in verse 7, and the word of God increased. See, he's, he's been emphasizing the word. We need to solve this problem by not keeping sight, uh, by, by not losing sight of the importance and primacy of the word. And so then when they do that and they give themselves to the word and to prayer, the result is, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And and here's an astonishing blessing. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And this comes at such a precious time, because we just finished seeing how a lot of those Sadducees in chapter 5, who ended up, when they heard Peter taking counsel to slay them, now we find many of them obedient to the faith. This means they were converted. And this means that the word bore fruit, and the prayers were answered. And the church is growing. That means that there may be more problems. Then what will they do? They'll repeat the cycle. Let's solve the problems. Keeping the word primary. And never ceasing to pray. May God help us. That we would simply apply these these very simple principles. When there are issues, beloved... Come with a loving heart to one of the leadership. Open your heart. Reveal the difficulty, the challenge. We don't want to see sectarianism. We don't want to see people neglected. That was the wrong thing. The leadership needs to know. Let us not murmur. Let us not grumble. Let us not be discontent. Satan loves that, he can bring division. But in our solving the problem, let us all keep this in mind. May the word remain central. May my heart be given to prayer. My, my prayer is that each and every one of us would encourage the leadership in this very way, and that we, as leadership, would keep that, of course. It's the mandate for us, right? That in all of our meetings, we would stop and think wait, what is central? What is taking priority in the life of our church? Because the problems can dissolve what we saw as priority. And our eyes will go elsewhere. And we're trying to solve the problems. And God's word is saying, solve them. Don't ignore them. But give yourself to the word and prayer. And we pray that the word would have the same effect and that the Lord would make many obedient to his word. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, how gracious thou art, Lord, to give wisdom to these apostles. They were not perfect. It was under their leadership that this oversight was happening. We thank Thee, Lord, for how as it came to their sight and Thy inspiring them to think this through, that they did not leave the Word of God. And we thank Thee, Lord, the instruction that comes to us to have so much love for all our congregation, for all peoples everywhere, for the needy. So much love that we would never neglect giving them what they need most, which is the Word of God, and bathe that with prayer for these very souls, that Thy Word would have an effect in each of our hearts. Lord, we pray that Thou would minister to every soul, that Thou would give, Lord, what is necessary. We thank, Lord, of the great challenge and trial that Thou hast brought in the the death of a loved one, And Lord, we see how we truly need prayer. How we cannot do this alone. We have no words to say. The funeral will be forthcoming. And we plead, Lord, from heaven. That Thou would help Lynn. That Thou would help these children. That Thou would help the whole family. That they themselves would give themselves to the word and to prayer. Satan, Lord, would would have his way in desponding people, discouraging, causing people to doubt, causing people also to lack trust in Thee. We pray, O Lord, that Thou would not allow that to happen, but that all our eyes would be fixed upon Christ, our tender high priest. Who knows what suffering is of every kind. And he is near to the broken hearted. And to those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And even as we mourn the death of a loved one. May, may it communicate to our hearts Lord. The mourning we should each have for our own sins. And how we need the Lord Jesus. And how we have him. We have the one who cleanses us and who pardons us and who can comfort the distraught. Help us, Lord, to never keep the word central in our hearts and prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.